Hello, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge podcast, where we believe making things matters. I'm your host, Lyle Smith. I'm a writer, a storyteller, marketing professional, and founder of my own writing, branding, and content agency, Nimblesmith. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here today to record and catalog another fascinating story of someone making something that matters to them, to the people who matter to them, and something that they believe makes the world a better place. Some of these people have made products, businesses, books, and works of performance or art, careers that make a difference to other people. Some have seen wild success, and some have seen wild failures. One even left our atmosphere to look back on us from outer space. Most, if not all, have seen successes grow from difficulties. And that's what I'm really trying to get at. That's what interests me. I hope it interests you too. If you follow the podcast, thank you. If you enjoy and would like to see the podcast continue to grow, you can support us in a couple of different ways. First, we have a store with what I think is some pretty cool stuff. Shirts and mugs and sweatshirts and things. Visit the website at makingthingsmatters.com and click shop at the top of the page and you'll see all the stuff there. You can also visit our Patreon page if you'd like to become a regular or even a one-time patron of the podcast. Just visit patreon.com slash makingthingsmatters and everything will be explained there. Either way, thank you for tuning in. It's what makes us keep working. Today, we're talking about sales. Yeah, 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 I know. We all hate sales. We hate salespeople. We hate the reputation salespeople have. But the guy I talked to today is yet another friend from my earliest days as a human. I met Brett Kierstead when we were about five years old. I remember him, shorter than me, shorter than most, but with an extremely tall personality, you know what I mean? Running out to the playground at recess, organizing massive kickball games among our fellow students. Boys, girls, athletic kids, kids who couldn't tie their own shoes. He may be embarrassed by this, but I remember him as a natural leader, and I was jealous even at that young age. I couldn't figure out what he had that I didn't. Or why? Fast forward a few decades, and Brett now lives in the upper reaches of Minnesota. A career sales guy who sold all sorts of products and services and built successful sales teams for all sorts of organizations. Add author to his resume. He published a book last year that I have to recommend to anyone who's not a natural or trained salesperson. And even for guys like me who think they know everything about clarity of communication, it challenges us to think differently about all of it. He's a smart guy, a family guy, and not salesy the way we tend to think of salesy at all. Here's my chat with Brett Kierstead. So where are you, Brett? I'm up here in the chilly Minnesota, man. Not straight, somewhat far from our homeland of Jersey. And yeah. obviously on the other side of the world from where you are there in sunny Florida. But uh, if you've never been to Minnesota in the fall, this is the time to be here. That's awesome. That's what I hear. It's supposed to be beautiful. I have some friends up there, and they uh, yeah. they all love it. They're they're sort of dedicated Minnesotans. <laughs> Party. Uh, we use the word <laughs> very good. So um, you are um, a career sales guy, as as yeah. I, I've I've come to to understand. You know, we we knew each other a long time ago as children. Yeah, uh, and and have sort of reconnected recently. So, um, 
you know, and and the book, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, I found very, very interesting. Um, and of course, as a, you know, I'm a career creative. Yeah. So I'm resistant to even using the word sales in right. my normal day-to-day life. But you're a career, career, you know, sales guy, and you, now you've written a book and things are changing for you. Did you ever picture yourself as an author? You know, the first time I never really thought about it. And there's a really quick story about like 25 years ago, I was with, um, I I used to help uh, a company get speakers and uh, public speakers. And I ended up one time riding in the back of a limo uh, with Les Brown and and he was married at the time to Gladys Knight. So uh, he was speaking at an event and I was back there. I said, you know, Les, I, I love listening to you someday when I grow up, I want to be like you, you know, that kind of speech. Right. And, and he gave me his passionate, you know, speech about it. And one thing he said was, he goes, well, regardless of whether that's what you want to do, the best way to do it ultimately is to write a book. And he said, the reason for that is twofold. Number one, it's your calling card allows you to codify what you want to say. And then secondly, even if you never use it, um, you can give it to your kids and they'll get an understanding of how you think. And I was like, that was 25 years ago. So (laughs) it took me a while, but finally the, you know, the circumstances became such that it was um, practical to do it. Right. And I just set off to do it. Not exactly sure where it was going to end up, but great adventure. Well, it's interesting. I find uh, for myself, because I I do, you know, writing is kind of the core of my business. Yeah, and uh, writing storytelling, and I find when I'm writing for other people, um, it's a lot easier. It's a lot, yeah. you know. When I start writing for myself, people say, you know, what do you think about this? That gets more, you know, serious. You know, yes, going, yes. Now, now we're now we're in it here. Yes. Um, so you're in you're in Minnesota. Um, how are things out there these days? I mean, I know we have we have lots of crazy yelling people here in Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder what it's like in other parts of the country. Well, I would say, you know, you've got like most states, it's bifurcated into city and rural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go out to rural communities, my wife and I have a cabin in Northern Minnesota, you, you know, you would think that they were living in an alternative universe, not good or bad, just like they re- you don't really see COVID around. Yeah. Politics are very, um, very, uh, like still Trump, believe it or not, in some areas. Yeah. And then when you get into the city, obviously Minneapolis has had a, you know, it's been an interesting transition. And I think they're still trying to uh, recalibrate right. uh, what's going to happen there. Um, you know, it's still an area that not a, a lot of people are venturing into, right. you know, and, and as you can imagine, um, a lot of the suburban areas, some of the, the good chefs, and some of the, the businesses just relocated. And so, I mean, I hate to say that it's kind of a, 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 a cultural thing for us, too, that now we start getting some of these well-trained chefs are opening up restaurants here in, in our suburbs. So, I mean, obviously, we need a revitalized Minneapolis and St. Paul long term. Sure. But um, I think for now, it's still in a it's still a little bit out of sorts. You know, they still haven't right. quite settled down yet. Right. Well, that's a, it's an interesting thing because I... Um you know, we were in uh, Virginia um, a week and a half ago for my for wedding, and um, we had friends come in from California. We had friends come down from Jersey and New York yep. area, 
and then we came up from Florida and a bunch of people from the South and we all had completely different experiences of yes. the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, we, we've been out to visit friends in California and they're, you know, very, very serious about everything, you know, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. to Florida, which is a little bit of a free for all. We affectionately call it lawless Florida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jersey, you know, the further north you go along the eastern seaboard, it, it seems to uh, uh, shift a bit. Yeah. You know? But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm glad things are good. You guys are all good and healthy and fine. Yeah. Doing great. You know, I had a heart attack earlier this year. It was a life changing event. And April Fool's Day down in, uh, we were on vacation down in Florida and had the massive heart attack out of the blue. No signs, no symptoms. And you know, Amy, obviously, you know, Amy from way back in the day, you know, started CPR on me and wow. The whole experience was, you know, I, people like to say it was a life changing. And I, and I, I think, you know, I, I like to think that I had a very positive forward looking attitude and right. appreciative attitude about life before then. It just puts a finer point on it. Yeah. No kidding. And it also puts a finer point on self-awareness about your own health and investing in your own health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how important that is to not neglect, you know, what your body is telling you and what, unfortunately, as we get older, what are, you know, what our aging tells us about our body. So it was, you know, it was definitely an eye opener, but, um, knock on wood so far, so good. Right. Good. Good. And then that's another one, little note to anybody who's listening, learn CPR. Yeah, that's uh, right. Cause it's, right. Uh, it, it can right. really make a difference. Those um, first few minutes made all the difference. That's what they yeah. tell you. So. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's a, that's a real deal. Yeah. Um, and so how, you know, it, it made significant changes in your, in your life and health. And I, I think so. I mean, I'm losing weight. I, I didn't have a terrible diet or a terrible behavior before, but it just, I mean, it, it's just bringing self-awareness to it, even just aware of, you know, not just what you eat, but how you care for yourself and right. making sure you have good balance and everything. You just, right. It's not, it's, it, it's fairly intuitive, you know, obviously you're an, you're an athlete and, and you know, too, and, and, you know, there's an in, intuition, you understand it, but time passes on and then you forget about it. And then one day you're like, Hey, <laughs> whoops. Well, I mean, that's, that's true. And of course we had a year and a half down here. We, we took it more seriously than most of our friends and neighbors in Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we were, we were, you know, home more, way more than we ever were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you pick up bad habits and bad, you know, and there's yeah. another, another bag of potato chips and whatever. Yeah. So we've been, Heather and I have been both sort of dropping a few pounds uh, over the past uh, couple of months. I will say that the best part about it, you know, yes, it was, it was helpful in my life, but I, I posted a few times about it, you know, just very, very honest about it and very honest about what happened and, and the decisions around it. And I got a note from a friend of mine about two months later yeah. that she took it seriously. She took my messages and she went and found out that she was pre-diabetic oh, wow. and, and ended up changing her lifestyle. She lost like 30 pounds and made an adjustment. And, and I didn't even know it. It was just after the fact. So, you know, it's also good to share your story too, because people with people that, you know, that you never know who you might help. Right. Or who would be motivated by it? Well, and you're, you know, I notice you're really good at that. You post a lot. You post a lot of um, a, a variety of things, a lot of personal stuff, a lot of personal history, work history. Yeah. Uh, I like a lot of the stuff you do on LinkedIn, for example. Um, and it, so you, you, I don't know if you in, intentionally did this, 
but I the, and I throw this word around this term around a lot on on the pod here um, and to clients, um, and I I sometimes get fun made fun of for it sometimes um, make fun of people for it, but yeah. you've really sort of made yourself into a thought leader, uh, yeah. at least among yeah. the people who follow you yeah. uh, on a variety of topics. So, I mean, like I like on, on LinkedIn, you post those, those, uh, three by five cards, those old yeah. Yeah. Wooden things. Right here, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like every single one of these you've posted, I'm like, Oh man, there's something I got to remember from this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, that's I, I, to the point where I'm like, oh man, that's all, that's like your second book right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, but it's, um, you know, how do you feel about that? Did you, was that intentional or did you just, what's, you know, what were you thinking? well, so it's kind of interesting, you know, I, when we, when we, uh, again, dating ourselves, you know, when we entered the workforce in 1990, you know, you, there was a, it was obviously a very different culture and a different environment. You know, it was very in-office centric and there was very, everything was very hierarchical back then. And, you know, I remember being a young salesperson and I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, there, you have the older sales men and women that are there and, you know, you're a young punk and you're in there you're like, ah, I know as much as they do, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, and then you get older and you realize number one, that, that they they were imparting wisdom to you. You were learning things in a very um, non, non-formal way. Right. And there was significant value in that in hindsight. And so I think about us today. Okay, so now we're the old guys, you know, and we're the ones that carry an obligation to share our experiences, right, with, with the next generation, if you will. Well, my oldest daughter's 25. She entered the workforce. My middle daughter's 21 and my son's 16. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, they have some cool things with their work. I mean, they're flexible and remote and they got all this stuff. But what they don't have is a very informal opportunity to learn from the old guys, you know, and the old, and the old uh, you know, professionals, whether it's sales or whatever their career, just sitting right. around and learning from the professionals. And, um, and so that was part of the inspiration of writing the book was to try to start thinking about, you know, do we have an obligation to start sharing our wisdom in whatever area it is in a very open and candid way? So I'm glad to hear that, you, that you know, obviously thought leader is a, 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 a very broad term, right. you know, and I mean, I think at the end of the day, we all have expertise in our own life. Right. <laughs> right. right, you know, our own version of our life. I may not be an expert in everything, but I am an expert in my life and uh, the stories that came from it. So that's kind of the inspiration for just being out there and honest with people about it, about yeah. whatever you're. Yeah, it's really cool, and it's I, you know, you see some people. I mean, they all say post a lot, post more, post you know that benefits your business, blah 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 blah. But um, there are people who do it sort of authentically and honestly. Yeah. And then there are people who are just constantly, and and, and you know, we can talk about this too, sort of constantly selling. Something. Yes, I know, I know. And and you get into this in the book a bit, where the the you know sort of the difference between you know the perception of sales versus sales communication, I guess, would yes. be sort of a, a way of thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the 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 impetus behind the book was funny because it's like you said that 
if I told, if you walk down the street and you ask the average person, what's the first thing that comes to, my, to your mind when I say the word salespeople, you know, generally speaking, it's not positive. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's pushy, <laughs> it's slimy, it's, you know, blah, 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 whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. And of course, my experience as a professional and in both being a salesperson and leading salespeople is sure, there are people that don't do it justice, but at the upper end, of professional salespeople. They're great communicators. They really genuinely care about other people. <laughs> they, uh, they're, they're working at home, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and they have skills that are, that are very genuine. And I always used to, when I would talk to customer service people or other people that were not in sales, I often found myself sharing stories about how to ask good questions and being interested in people and being flexible and negotiating and, and being clear and concise in what you're asking for. And then started to realize, you know what, like that's how, that's how life should be. You know, when you go about any communication, you should be curious about other people. You should be open and honest, you know, you should be flexible and willing to negotiate on ideas. You know, you should ask clearly what you want. So the impetus for around the book was just that it was, it was merging together this professional thing that I've experienced and some great people into everyday life. Right. Um, the final binder was really thinking about my own children as they entered the workforce and thinking, you know, I don't know that the next generation is being taught communication skills and how to face to face engage. Everything's like this. Their faces right. in their phone, you know, and, and I just think over time, that's a skill that we as a, you know, as a, as a culture don't want to lose, you know, interpersonal relationships face-to-face -face or with people is just not something we want to lose. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting the way you talk about it. And I've, I've thought about it, you know, at risk of, at risk of, at risk of, um, of getting, um, and I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to, uh, make an observation that I've seen. Um, cause I think, America was built on sort of two different concepts. It's this one, on one hand, you have this concept of rugged individualism. Yep. Freedom, go do your thing. Be a hero. It's awesome. Yep. Uh, and on the other hand, you have this concept of uh, the commonwealth and how we have yes. a commitment and, a, and, a, and a, um, a dedication to, to our communities and our families and, and, uh, and, and raising everybody else up. And That's helping right. people who who can't help themselves and all that kind of stuff. And over the years, that balance—it's the balance that's made us powerful. I think. Yeah. And I think over the years, the balance has gone over and over and over towards this rugged individual side. And um, I think to what we're talking about, that goes to hey, I'm paying attention to me and yes. not the other people around me. I'm only—I only have to worry about me. I only have to communicate with me. I only have to communicate for my own benefit. I don't have to worry about other people. And I think that's what I found interesting about what you're doing, uh, especially in the book, is this idea that, you know, not only is sales maybe not what you're thinking about, uh, but all the communication that goes into sales and making a sale um, is really just human communication done well. That's right. That's, a, good sales. that's a great, like, that's a perfect summary of it. And 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 and, and and the book tries to take the lessons and and put them a little bit into a learning environment, you know, storytelling with learning. Right. So saying, well, give me an example of what you mean. And I say, well, 
Here's a good example about why it's so important to understand other people. Okay. So if I was a baker and I bake focaccia bread, like I make beautiful focaccia bread, freshest ingredients and everything. And I come up to you and I start talking to you about it. I'm like, wow, this is the greatest. It's delicious. And I'm 10 minutes in and you go, Brad, I love it, but I'm gluten intolerant. Like I, I can't eat bread. Yeah. Right. Well, you'd be like, well, that was a complete waste of everybody's time. <laughs> and, and it happened because I was so centered on myself and I didn't spend enough time on you. Yeah. Simple, simple illustration of, of a sales environment. I'm trying to sell you bread mm -hmm. where if I don't take the time to understand who I'm talking to, right. it, it's just not going to make a connection. Right. So you can translate to, to all parts of life. You know, you can translate that out to all things. You know, if you're beginning dating somebody, you'd be like, God, all that person did was ever talk about themselves. Right. Well, you want, that's not what you want to hear. You want to have somebody that's interested and curious in you. So th those are just examples of the translation from, you know, kind of sales world into how we communicate. Right. In everyday life. Right. That's cool. So let me go back a little bit. Um, we we come from the same small town in the mysterious Jersey, yeah. the mysterious world of central New Jersey, the mythical yes. Yes. in central New Jersey. Uh, how did you end up in Minnesota? It was it was only it was a three quick jump. So I went to college uh, at Clemson in South Carolina. I kind of thought I would be a college baseball player, but got down there in between realizing that I wasn't good enough for that environment and some physical limitations, this injury, I then turned to just being a regular old college student. Right. Um, and then of course, Amy, who, you know, we went to high school with Amy candidate. We got married. We, uh, she went to university of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And so then afterwards we got married out of college and lived in Charlotte mm -hmm. and uh, for four years and the company I was with at the time uh, had a program where they brought high-performing individuals from the field into corporate, which was up here in Minnesota, to kind of learn the business and then go back out. And, you know, here I am 27 years later with three kids. Yeah. I haven't left Minnesota. You know, we love it here and um, just became a place to raise our family and, and, and the economics and the business and the culture are, are a great place to be. So yeah, just that's how it ended up here. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, but what, uh, were you, you got right into sales from college or did you yeah. get, yeah, actually I was a finance and accounting major and I always thought that I would be in, in finance, you know, I would go into some financial or accounting job. And, um, my mentor at the time from back in New Jersey said, you know, you ought to try sales. You should interview or just talk to some companies about a sales role. And, so I ended up, there was a guy who recruited me on campus. I ended up interviewing for a sales position. And it was actually a payroll company. So I kind of understood finance and accounting. Yeah. This payroll sales company. And uh, and it was like, oh, okay, there you go. There's sales, you know. And as I wrote about it, I, I still have my letter here from 1993 when they were going to fire me for performance, you know, uh, into it because I just wasn't great at sales. Um, right. I had a great personality and I had a great rapport and I communicated well, but I didn't, I, I didn't have the discipline. I didn't, I wasn't a professional salesperson. Right. Um, so, you know, figured that out, learned how to be better at communication. I went to Toastmasters and started learning communication skills more effectively. And it really kind of changed my trajectory in my career. Fantastic. So I was going to ask, what's the, what's the difference between where you were and a professional 
salesperson? I think I was, I thought, well, first of all, I was very self-centered. Um, yeah, I mean, I was 20, you know, I got out, I had some success. I was 24, you know, whatever. Everybody's supposed to be self-centered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's fine. It's a good, it's good to be confident, mm-hmm. but I was, I thought I knew it all, you know, and um, instead of building my craft, I just thought, well, my natural skill or my natural ability will be successful. And I realized the wake up call of saying, Hey, you might be a good guy and you might be all this, but there is an expectation to be a professional in terms of your work rate, in terms of your attitude, in terms of your teamwork, in terms of your results. And we don't care how much we like you at some point, that's what the job is. Yeah. And so it was really a a good wake up call. And I appreciate that they supported me and gave me the guidelines, my manager and his boss. And they're still friends of mine today that, um, you know, just turned it from just being in a job to committing to your craft. Right. Um, Right. That's an, that's an interesting thing too. I I run into that a lot, you know, even from like my early, my first job out of school was uh, uh, in a newsroom, a daily newspaper in Morristown. Um, and you know, you'd hear some people, some of the reporters would talk about, you know, crafting their stories or being, being craftspeople. And I always kind of rolled my eyes at it at the time. Yes. Uh, but over the years you you sort of come to realize that that, that's a real thing. It's not, and of course we're in the creative fields, uh, another term we like to just kind of throw around willy nilly. Um, you have people who consider themselves artists, you know, and it's like, you know, you're, you know, but you're, you're, no, you're a marketing, uh, you're a graphic designer in a marketing agency, or you're a, you're a copywriter in a marketing agency. You're, you're, you're not an artist. You may go do that and be an artist on the side, yes. you know, uh, in another part of your life. But in this job, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a craftsperson or you're a, you're an artisan maybe. That's right. Uh, and you, and a lot of it is doing the same kind of thing over and over again and finding those uh, efficiencies and, and, um, and repetitive things that work. Um, and so it's really, and, and when you can adjust your mindset to, to that sort of a expectation, um, it, I think it makes the commitment to it a lot easier. Yeah. And, and I've realized, I mean, if you really step back and think about it, like if you think about a very, very various disciplines, everything from, you know, how you do professional marketing to what sales techniques there are to, you know, how you do design and all of it, even you you think about things that are like more, more structured, like accounting or Mm -hmm. law, like they're always changing, but the techniques are always changing. And if you're not committed to the development of your craft, right, the the understanding, time passes you by so fast. So a big part of professional sales, just like being a professional, you know, content design person or professional accounting person or whatever, is this lifelong commitment to the craft, the profession of learning and getting better. Right. So what bad salespeople would be like bad doctors would be like bad accounts. So I'm like, well, I don't know the latest, but I'll just try, you know, like <laughs> the same thing can happen in any industry where people stop learning. They stop. You yeah. Know, it's interesting. You know, and with, with so much technology being at the core of so many things, uh, I'm, I'm laughing inside my head because I've, I've, I've kind of, I've grabbed the sticky end of this lollipop before <laughs> yeah. like I didn't, I didn't pay atten- enough attention to this as it was yes. growing. And now I have to go back and learn about it. 
That's right. Uh, on the other hand, though, I, I, and I use my, my father-in-law as an example quite often. He's, a, uh, he's pushing 80. He's got two veterinary clinics in New Jersey. Nice. And uh, still working, still riding his motorcycle to work. And uh, he has sort of old school approaches to things that a lot of the new vets don't know. They yes. never taught them. They didn't understand them. So there's this whole library of stuff yeah. uh, that you have to be able to draw on. And you can have a lot of success. Uh, I guess you can't be afraid of using, you kind of need to do both. Really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is the advantage that we are supposed to have at this point is, is the wisdom of time and experience. You know, and some of that we need to use for ourselves. And as I said, some of it we need to impart to others, you know, whether whoever they may be, your own kids, my kids, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, now if you know, now when I hire people or if I'm working in a company, I've got a sales team, you know, I know it's part of my responsibility to teach them, you know, right. teach them technique, teach them some of the discipline that we use and tell them some of those old stories about of success or failure and how they relate to today. Yeah. I it's interesting. I, I love how uh, I find it interesting how how often you've mentioned your kids in this whole conversation, and I remember you as as when we were five, six, yes, yes, and uh, um, I remember uh, you, and I, I'll I'll bring it up because you mentioned it in the book, so I I, I think it's fair game. You you were the first kid I knew who came from a family of divorce. Yeah. Interesting, um, and you talk about bullying in the in the book quite a bit, which I found interesting because my perspective of you as a kid was, you know, I remember you specifically from recess, going yeah. out and getting the kickball game going, and everybody, you know, there goes Brett, and everybody follows Brett. Yeah, and so I, you're, I remember you as a leader, even as a little kid. Uh, I was just a follower, and you know, yeah. afraid to get involved in anything. But uh, it's how does that where you came from and your family experience growing up um, compare to what you have, what you created for yourself and your family? Yeah, I mean, wow, that's like a, how much time do we have? We're like, you know, well, <laughs> like, like, let me lay down on the couch and let me lay down on the couch and answer. No, um, you know, I my my birth father. It's funny. Um, I didn't, I didn't, he left, he, he kind of just left when I was five years old, me and my younger brother, my mom. And then my mom remarried when, when I was seven, you know, so my Kirsten is my um, adopted name. Mm-hmm. As you know, I was Brett Skelly. One I remember of the that. Yeah. The world that may know that. <laughs> um, one person that was actually there. Um, and, you know, as, as, as you grow up and, you know, you start to become, uh, what does Jordan Peterson say? One of the blessings and the curse of humanity is that we can self-assess ourselves, you know, like it's great that we can do it. And it's kind of a similar thing is, is you start to look back and say, well, what were the lessons learned? And, you know, sometimes you learn good from people and sometimes you learn bad, like you learn what you don't want to do. Right. Uh, Amy, you know, again, I mentioned her before, you know, she moved around a lot when we were young and she had an unstable, like she was only in Burnsville, her sophomore year. So she had moved around too. And so when we got together, one of the lessons that we both said when we got married is look, you know, we both want stability, you know, we want stability for our families. And so part of the reason why we stayed in Minnesota, you know, was the bar would have been really high for us to uh, disrupt our kids' lives in in that regard. Cause uh, again, like you said, some of the lessons we learned when we were young, 
you know, from a personality standpoint, we all kind of have nature and nurture, right? And I know the nature I got from my birth father was he was a storyteller. He was very much a talker, but I looked at what he did and, you know, he passed away a few years ago and I look what he did and he used some of those skills, not for good. Right. Uh, you know, as simple as that, you know? And right. um, so it's like, I find myself sometimes having to check myself to make sure that, Hey, you know, am I, am I conscious of doing the right thing and keeping things consistent with what, what we consider our values and what we want to do. And right. it's not easy. I mean, life's hard, man. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of things to do in life. And, you know, but I do, I, I mean, I learned a lot from that experience. Right. I, I have to think so. And, and I see how you talk about your kids and um, sort of the love and dedication you have when you talk about what you're teaching them and what you want yes. them to learn. Um, so I wonder, you know, that's why I wondered about the connection, you know, from your experience to theirs. Was, was, and how much do they know about that? Uh, quite a bit. I mean, as we got older, I talked to them a little bit about it, um, you know, and just tried to share it in context. I mean, my father, my, who was my stepfather, who I consider my father, obviously, because he raised me, you know, they had a good relationship with him. Um, he passed in 2012 from Alzheimer's. Um, but I still try my best to tell, tell stories, you know, um, they are, they do a really good job. And my mom who's their grandma does a really good job of staying connected with them mm -hmm. to tell stories. And, um, you know, I'm sure they're teenagers at times are rolling their eyes, listening to, you know, grandma tell stories, but they'll pick that up. They're pick, they may not seem like they're listening, but they're listening and they're learning of, of, of these important lessons for, for life, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I know I talk about my kids just to clear, but I think a lot of that extends even into the workplace or even if I'm coaching, you know, I've done a lot of, I've coached my kids use sports and, you know, I, yes. I mean, my daughter's on the team, but so are a bunch of other kids that are also looking to hear from adults to learn. Right. So yes, technically I think of my own children first in that regard, but the reach is broad. You know, we have a responsibility to have a broader reach than that. Right. And well, I knew you, you were saying before we got started, you, you just did recently a uh, sort of a leadership yeah. seminar yeah. of sorts for, for yeah. youth sports. I don't know how your listeners feel about the state of youth sports in the United States, but I, uh, I've never asked, but I, I know how I feel about it. <laughs> but it's, but it's definitely an area that could use some uh, teaching about communication. I'll just put it that way you know, and dealing with adversity and, and, and that. So my son plays baseball for a really cool program here in town called Minnesota mash mm -hmm. and they're a baseball club, but they also do health and fitness and things like that. They have some adult programs and um, they were doing some of their own kind of annual development. And um, I, they asked me to do a seminar, really a, a workshop is a better way to think of it mm -hmm. um, based on the subjects within my book. Mm -hmm. So we set it up over, it ended up being over two days, about eight hours of just talking through how they communicate and how you deal with angry parents and, you know, how you talk to kids that may not be performing within, you know, on the right. team or, or just all, how do they work together to make the community better? So it was really a really interesting and it's just fascinating how hungry people are that there's a lot of people that want to do good. I mean, I know that we, the headlines are all the bad, yeah. but by and by, people want to see their communities grow and prosper. Absolutely. I they agree. Just, but a lot of them just don't know how. 
They don't, they don't have the skills or they don't know. I have a couple of theories on that. It's interesting. I have one. I've always said since my earliest days working in the news business, um, people complain about, oh, the news is always bad. It's always terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I said, the one thing you have to remember about the news is if it's not unusual, it doesn't make the paper. Right. Right. So, That's right. That's so right. hopefully the bad stuff that you see in the paper every day is mostly unusual. Or still That's right. It's, just, it's a, the stuff that that's, that you're shocked by in the paper is supposed to shock you. Right. That's the general nature of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's a reason. You don't have like, Lyle Smith, local man, went to grocery store today. And yeah. Got, you know, his, his grocery. That's not Well, that, that's funny because you said you have, a, you have a cabin up in the north. We had, yeah. my, 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 we had a place in the Catskills for years. And we'd go and we'd get the, the local Catskill, Catskill Mountain newspaper. Yes. And you flip through it and they had the local town section. And everything was like, you know, uh, Marianne and Jacob uh, Rabinowitz had their granddaughter over for dinner on Thursday. Right. And that was the news for the local, yes. the little tiny local paper. And it was, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's different. It depends what your audience is and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, I think what you say about uh, people being hungry to, to, to um, grow their communities and do good and, and communicate well. I think I think that's absolutely true. And I think what's really interesting is when they see it done well, yes. they ex- or more importantly, when they experience it done well, yes, um, they're a little amazed and surprised and like, well, that went better than I thought, you know. Right. And and that's what I that's what I love about your book because I, I I love the connection you make. You know, there's the, the big front section is kind of about, you know, your sales approach and, and your steps in the sales process and from from the initial uh, contact to closing the deal. Um, but the second part about where you make the connections between sales communication and just human communication in, in regular areas of life. Yeah. Uh, and you, you go into, you know, bullying and challenging situations and and even even um, uh, nonverbal cues and things like that. Yeah. I just found fascinating, and I think um, I, I, I recommend it to people all the time. You know, because yeah, I run into people in my in my you know networks of people who are always like, you know, anybody have trouble with sales? And I'm like, yeah, all the time. I do. I still do all the time. And yeah. uh, and I I'm, I'm, I always say now, you know, if you want to learn a little something about it and get sort of a yeah. different perspective on it, that's not as um difficult to understand you yeah know? a lot of professional <laughs> sales books, execute yeah a lot of professional sales books but which are don't get me wrong i don't begrudge them oh there are a lot of good for, ones yeah they're written for salespeople, and they're very um they're they're a lot of them are systematized they're also mm-hmm. you know i'll use this word i don't make it sound negative but in like doctrine it's like mm-hmm. do this and, hand, and when someone says this you do that mm-hmm. and they're applying to like Johnny wants to buy a car, but Johnny yeah. doesn't want to pay. And, yeah. and that's fine. It's good. And I don't mean They're to like grudge it. Yeah. I wanted to go more towards, you know, Lyle, Lyle can't get his son to bed. And it's at, at 10 PM. And I don't want that to turn into a negative outcome where all of a sudden it's escalating. You're like, you never listened to me, you know, and you're the worst parent. That's, that's the, that's the situation that to me, is is where people need help. They need they need a different frame of reference to understand how to navigate through those situations in their lives in a more positive manner. Right. 
Right. And I, th- I thought that I, that's what I, I think it's really because when you can think about how, you know, because I read it thinking, oh, this is cool. Maybe maybe it'll help me be a better salesperson. Yeah. And I read it. And I'm like, no, I just this will make me a better human. This is, right. this is good. Right. Uh, right. A better salesperson, too. Sure, sure. But first off, it's like, no, I just, it's going to make me communicate better. And that's really, yeah. cool. as a communicator, that's, I, I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, and, and sales, it's so funny because sales is so um, performance oriented, you know, sure. so it's like yeah. either you sell it or you don't. And, um, and, and marketing is more kind of, you know, long. Look, yeah, a little bit of both. Longer, right, right, you know? right. And uh, so I, I always came from the one side and had a difficult time with the second, with the shorter side, shorter term side. Uh, and then I had a guy I knew came to me when I was working for Bigfoot Interactive while we were doing email marketing. And yeah. he said, well, I have this new, this company from Japan, they're coming in, they're opening a flagship store, they want to do some email, can you help them? And I said, I don't know, let me, let me put them in touch with somebody. So I got my friend Kirk, who's a great sales guy. Uh, who who got? He said, "Sure, I'll get on the phone with him." And so we got on. He said, "Do you want to be on the call?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love to be on the call. I'd love to learn a thing or two." Yeah. And I listened to the whole thing. I introduced them, and he and he started talking. And he, he didn't. All he started doing was asking questions. Yeah. Which is really, you know, as, um, you know, I, I knew a guy at another company I worked with, and I used to describe him as not a not a salesman, but a used Cadillac salesman. Yeah, that's you know because it's like a really specific kind of person. Yeah, no, I get it. I, that that everybody who heard that just painted a picture in their mind. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And uh, but Kirk was not that guy. Kirk was he asked a lot of questions. He said, "What do you need?" And you know, at the end of the call, you know what he did? Well, he said, "I I don't think we're right for you. I think you're you know you're you're much smaller. We we're a much bigger tool than you need. Right? You know, you need you need a hammer. We're a howitzer." And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, maybe you, you should go talk to silver pop or cheetah mail or one of the yeah, other yeah, who are, yeah. who are, who, who consider themselves competitors of ours. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they should, they have sort of the right scale thing for you. And, you know, maybe down the road, you'll change your mind and, and yeah, you'll, you'll grow to the spot where we can really help you, but where you are now, we can't really help you. And so off they went and yeah. about nine months later, they came back. Of course. So of course. it was, and it's like, that was like, wow, this is really cool. It's, it's yeah. almost, you know, I look for these things and I, um, I love saying, oh, it's not magic. It's just kind of magical. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. I might steal that one. Yeah. It's all yours. Use it anytime. <laughs> but uh, so what, you know, I have, I have here, what made you start thinking about the, the connection between, you know, sales communication? Cause you, you, you do a really beautiful job of connecting your methodology of sales to regular human needs of chaos. Yes. So what, what got you thinking about that? And almost every um, person that I ever managed, if they were listening to this knows my, most of my sales leadership technique, when I talk about trained salespeople, it brings stories in from the world. So I use a simple example. The one is my most famous one I always use is, um, you know, when you're a salesperson, uh, if you know, there's like, you kind of just told in your story, there's what's called an ideal customer profile. So in your example, it's like, I should go talk to sell companies. Maybe if I'm in the software business that have, you know, 10 million in revenue, they have 50, whatever, right. There's a profile. Right. And as a professional salesperson, 
to make most efficient use of your time and be successful, you should go after that person. Mm-hmm. And, and I always say, I always use the example of Giselle Bungeon, Tom Brady's wife, right? Mm-hmm. And I always say, no matter how much I would want to date her, I mean, I'm married, I wouldn't, but if, if I wanted to, <laughs> and I wanted to date her, I'm not a good fit for her. Like, even if she like kind of found me funny one day or something like that, like her profile is six foot two, you know, professional athlete, whatever it is, I'm just not that person. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I would always tell salespeople, why are you trying to call on companies? Why are you calling on Giselle when you're five foot seven old white guy, right? Like, why would you do it? So much of my life as a sales trainer is the reverse, which is pulling stories in from our own lives into sales situations so people could relate to it. And then one day, this was, gosh, I'm trying to think, it was probably four years ago. I was in my car driving to work. I had like a 30-minute ride. And I was going to do a blog post on something. And I started talking into my phone, like telling a story. Right. And six months and 78,000 words later, I had this massive manuscript that turned out to just be like the manifestation of that that relationship. And then... Every day, whenever I encountered something, I would almost like vlog. I guess that would be the way to think about it. You know what I mean? Almost like vlog to myself about what the experience was. So then that all got converted in this massive manuscript. And then I ended up working with um, a ghostwriter who really helped me bring all of this content together into a book, which is very different from just that, you know? Yeah. No, Um, but it helped. And, and just to finish that story, the most interesting part about that, I always joke that um, the women who I ended up working with to help ghostwrite it were two super liberal, awesome 70 year old hippies that lived in Southern California. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, how I got connected to them through Peggy Doherty. I know Peggy told me about that. I, yeah. I talked to her on the, I've talked to her on the show. So I ended up with another childhood friend connecting me, but what, what was interesting about that Lyle is, what, one of the big things that came from that was the bullying side of things, because I didn't really, I didn't, you know, I wasn't bullying. I didn't bully. I mean, I just, it wasn't like I experienced that in an aggressive manner firsthand. Right. Um, but when we started to talk about, and, you know, don't forget, this was also kind of really in the height of the Trump time too. Mm-hmm. And his yeah. communication style is very much a bullying style, you know, right. Maybe it's effective. You, I'm not even in a debate about it, good or bad, but he's a very, that's a style of communication. Right. And so they started telling me like, well, Brett, tell me a little bit more about bullying because this sounds like a lot like um, how Trump sells his ideas right. around, and not just Trump, how a lot of people sell their ideas. I'm like, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same concept. Bullying is just a way to sell, right. you know? <laughs> selling through intimidation. It's selling through intimidation. I want your lunch money. I'm going to beat you up. You give me it. I just sold you. Right. I mean, yeah. like, I know it's super, um, I'm not trying to be cliche or dismissive of it, but at the end of the day, right. that's how someone is communicating to get the outcome that they want. Right. Whether Absolutely. It's Absolutely. Lunch money or fear. It doesn't matter. That's what they know. And, and one, one interesting kind of is to reverse that a little bit is, is if you're, um, if you're aware of what the other person is doing, 
Right. You know, whether, whether they're intentionally doing it or it's just their personality or whatever, if you're aware of what they're trying to do, then all of a sudden it's like, this is what I work on with my clients a lot is, is sort of stepping out of your own shoes. Yes. And, and looking back and saying, okay, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. That's right, wrong, good, bad, effective, non-effective. So if you're aware of it, all of a sudden you can, you can turn that around and, and, and make it work for you in a way that hopefully is positive. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I tell you, that's such a good point. I just talked about it. I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie, the matrix, you know, and now mm-hmm. finally number four is coming out this Christmas. So it should be cool. But <laughs> what, what's interesting to me about, about this, and I use this in my training too, is a lot of communication is just like the matrix right. in the sense that, you know, if you remember the scene where he says, Oh, all I see is a green screen. And then they're like, oh, you look at it long enough. I see this. I see meat. I see a steak. I see a girl. And relationships are a lot like that. Is that I say you're either it's it's either being done to you or you're doing right. Like you're either aware of what's going on and in control of the conversation, the situation, or it's being done to you. And if you just what my book was designed to do again is not to be doctrine. It's really just for people like oh. I never really thought about that when I'm in an interview, I'm selling myself, right? you know, or wow, they probably want to first know, well, what's in it for them before they're going to talk to me about what I'm going to do on the job. So it's like, wow, there's a, some, there's stuff going on here in front of my eyes. Right. And instead of letting it happen to me, I want to make it happen. That's really the essence of, of, you know, kind of the underlying theory behind the book is just taking more visual control of what's going on consciously in all of your communication, all of your relationships. Sure. That's so cool. So, uh, what's next? Well, I had, when I published the book in February of 2020, I don't know if you've gotten the news, but there was this pandemic thing that happened. Oh, I heard something about that. Yeah. I I I know in Florida, I know in Florida, you're not participating in it, but the rest of the (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so I, I had I had thought more about, you know, at the time I had a couple speaking engagements lined up. I had some things all set up and it just, you know, that all stopped. Right. Um, and then, you know, some time lagged. And then I kind of thought about picking it up again this year and um, and unfortunately had a heart attack. Right. So yeah. it's, and now that I'm kind of back healthy, back out there, I'm starting to use a little bit more of the content. Um, like I told you, I did that youth train, that training program. Um, I'm looking at some consulting projects where I'm just kind of going into organizations and talking with them um, just informally about how they communicate, whether it's a for-profit business or community action community, it doesn't matter. Right. Or schools. Uh, I did a training session with one of my daughter's um, accounting classes in her college. Like they do like guest speakers once a quarter. Sure. And so I came in and I did a, coaching and training session for an hour for their students um, on a different skill set. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I'm hoping in the next month or two to convert the book to audible. Okay. I got to sequester myself in some remote, you know, (laughs) type cabin and and record it, you know, but um, I have a lot of people that would prefer to, to listen listen in a little bit more of a story format. Yeah, uh, but that's going to take a lot of work. So I'll probably try to get that done over the winter and then maybe republish that in the spring. 
Well, fantastic. I'll tell you what, I, 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 I enjoyed it. I was, I was, <laughs> I was skeptical at first. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it. And more importantly, I, I, I have found it to be valuable to me. Good. Uh, and I, I think you've, you've made something significant here and, and it's, uh, uh, I hope other people read it. I hope, yeah. I hope you have Thank great you. success preaching it. Cause I think it's a, it's a little bit of a missing link out there. Uh, certainly between sales and non-sales people, certainly between just people who, who need to communicate better yeah, uh, across the board. And it's, uh, it's terrific. I really, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. Totally enjoyed it, man. We could have uh, kept going another hour. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll get, we'll get the sofa out next time and I'll ask, yeah. I'll ask some deeper questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. So that was my chat with Brett Kirstead. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And it's very easy to get dismissive of things you don't value or understand as clearly as maybe you should or could. I decided sales was something I didn't want to do very early on. As a result, I never saw the value of the skill set or understood the good that could come from studying how to do it well. I reduced it to used car sales in my own head, and today I'm grateful for the ability to see the larger context. Pick up a copy of Brett's book. I think it's really worth the time. Thanks for listening. Hey there, this is Lyle Smith, host and creator of the StoryForge podcast, and I'd like to let you all know that we've created something new, a Patreon site. What is this, you may ask? Well, if you like what we're doing here with the podcast and want to help us continue to put out great conversations with people who make interesting things and pursue the things that matter to them, you can become a member. What's in it for you, you ask? Well, first, a warm, fuzzy feeling of helping someone make something you love. Beyond that, we're beginning to make special featurettes, extra stories, uncut interviews, and other things that we think you'll really enjoy. It's an exciting new development for us and gives us a chance to get a little more creative and make some cool stuff for you. If you like what we're doing and would like to support the effort, just click membership at the top of the website. Uh, that's the storyforge.com, the hyphen story hyphen forge.com. Uh, and if you're already supporting us, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support helps us make uh, our work better and possible. Please remember to tell all your friends about us. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast and embracing the idea that making things matters, give us a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, interviewing, scheduling, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces a number of other podcasts, including the wonderful A Guest in the House about all things hip-hop. Music for the program is from the Jody Nardone trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. If you like the work we're doing, please share the StoryForge link far and wide and tell all your friends about us. And you can always send us questions or suggestions to our email at cheers at nimblesmith.com. That's spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H.com. Or support us on our new Patreon site, or you can shop our store on the website at thestoryforge.com. That's the story, the hyphen story hyphen forge.com. Uh, click the shop link or the membership link at the top of the page. Thank you for listening. <laughs>